Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? It's going slowly, but it's going. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, in quarantine. And uh, today's episode is very special for two reasons. One is that I am FaceTiming with my guest today, Molly Stevens, the cookbook author. But to start, I thought I would FaceTime with my parents. Uh, and they're on the phone right now. So, hi, parents. Hi. Hi, Adam. Hello. Uh, and so, how's your quarantine going? Ugh, uh. we're cooking and cleaning. <laughs> it's enough already. <laughs> You're cooking and cleaning? Well, we're bringing in, and yeah. a, a few times. <laughs> I'm cleaning. Yeah. yeah, a few times we cooked. We got a barbecue, so Dad's the chef. So what have you been making? Hot dogs. Hot do- <laughs> yeah, you sent me a picture of hot dogs that you made yesterday. Yeah, I'm getting good at it. There's not much to do. <laughs> so, wait, I cooked a steak last Saturday night. Yeah. We went for the big bucks. He burnt. It, it was overcooked. But it, you I need to get a the thermometer. Record. You need to buy a thermometer so you can tell when to I take know. it off. It seems kind of, But wouldn't I burn myself sticking the thermometer into the steak while it's cooking? No, you wouldn't burn yourself. You'd be fine. Uh, it looks scary. Well, there's, we also, an, there's, yeah, another we had, te- there's another technique, which is if you make a fist right now with your hand in, yeah. the, in the area between your um, thumb and your index finger, like it's like a f- part of, you know, the fat that pushes up when you push down. That's what a medium rare steak feels like. Well, we'll FaceTime you and you'll show us. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you should, stick, maybe you should stick, so. stick to hot dogs. Uh, well, we had chicken breasts. I marinated chicken breasts in low-fat Paul Newman dressing one night. That was good. But we didn't barbecue. Why? We did serve. Yeah. You barbecued? What did you serve it with? Oh, it was like last week. Who remembers? It was 20 meals ago. Around the corner on the cob. So you guys uh, have never cooked this much in your lives. No, it's scary. It's horrible. <laughs> You've also never not gone to restaurants for this long in your lives. This is no, it's a first. And you this guys go to apps. restaurants all the time. Every meal. Um, we don't cook home, so this is really, really a hardship. Right. <laughs> so, what do you miss the most? Do you miss the food, or are you miss seeing other people? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. It's just. Oh my God. We have nothing to talk about anymore. We ran out of conversation. <laughs> yeah. She, she's upstairs. I'm downstairs for hours on end. <laughs> so what are you guys? What are you guys doing all day? Well, it's like it's like Groundhog Day. I wake up. I make myself breakfast. I um, then I go for a walk around the lake uh, two to three times. That kills about an hour. And I'm with him two of the times. She meets up with me on the second loop. And we continue on. Then we come back in, cool off. We'll then we go. think about what we're going to have for lunch. We decide what lunch is going to be. <laughs> so what did you guys have for lunch today? Oh, I actually, Dad had his hot dogs. I had hot dogs. That were left. <laughs> and I, because I'm on my, I'm trying to be good, I had um, egg salad sandwich on thin Arnold rye. So, <laughs> so maybe, it's maybe only, yeah. That's what I had. Egg salad. Well, you, you, egg salad is not healthy, though. That's a lot of mayonnaise. Well, no, I didn't put a lot in. I put like two squirts. Wait, you made lo- you made the fat. egg salad? Yep, and I put unchopped onions in, and um, yeah, it was very good. Ah. I, I did that. 
Yeah, I did. and yesterday I had what Dad's talking about, the hot dogs. They're 97% fat-free, so they're like 50 calories each. And I had my hot dogs yesterday on my thin rye bread, which is really very good, and that's 110 calories for two slices. So, How many I'm hot dogs have you guys eaten so far? Oh, I've eaten a lot, but I want to just say something, that 97% fat-free means 90, 97% flavor-free. It's got oh, no flavor. Really? Yeah. Well, who cares? You can go to the Nathan's hot dog eating contest after this and compete. Yeah, that's July fourth, I think. I know. I, I think it's uh, it violates the social distance rules. So, so now we're looking at the menus tonight. We got a list of um, all Boca restaurants that deliver. So we're looking over the list and trying to decide where we will order from tonight. So what do you think you're going to order from? Um, we're lucky that we have the club and they have really good selection. They have a family, um, menu, like you can order for family style and probably last for two days, which is nice. Uh They also have a shopping thing where you can shop for toiletries and all these things and they deliver to your house. So that's very, very nice. You you guys aren't, aren't going to like store grocery stores and shopping, are you? No, last week I went to Publix and I'm still traumatized going. <laughs> Why? What happened? <laughs> Nothing. It was just scary. I had my mask on. I had gloves on. And uh, there was just a lot of people around. And I just yeah. what felt didn't feel comfortable. We watched that video last night. Oh, yeah. Adam. Adam. Yeah. And the doctor said that, you know, going into a supermarket is somewhat risky because everything you're touching could have coronavirus on it. Right. Well, I, that yeah. video is on uh, a website that I read called kotkey.org if anybody wants to watch it. But it's basically this doctor who's showing you, I mean, he's very hardcore. He like, he was washing his oranges in soap and water. That's yeah. ridiculous. But I wow. guess, I guess the idea is if somebody touched it and then you touch it, you get it on your, into your body. Well, the one thing that we're happy about is that we usually cruise and um, we were supposed to be on a cruise going to India. And thank goodness it got canceled because I just read about a cruise ship that is um, being refused. They actually refused them in L.A. recently. And now they're approaching Fort Lauderdale and they're thinking of refusing them. Four people died on the ship. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And they're floating around and no one will take them so thank goodness we're on dry land will you guys ever take a cruise again after this i don't think so i really don't know i would never want to get on a cruise after this can you imagine being on a cruise ship and not be able to get off get out of your room well never mind that the people that were on that ship the princess ship they were like in their rooms hearing other people coughing and and being sick and and thinking that they're going to be the next ones. It's just awful. It really is a terrible thing. So well, it becomes like a floating, like a floating prison in a way or, or a floating hospital or a floating morgue. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you think you're going to let them into Fort Lauderdale? Oh, I don't know because they, it's, it's approaching. I think it's going to be here by Monday. I'm not positive. So we'll what, see. What they might do is let them off and then put them right into a quarantine right. area. Is there anybody, yeah. has there been any cases in Boca yet of 
coronavirus? Uh, not that we've That's heard of. Not that we've heard of. And after going out to Publix the other day, I sort of feel like I just want to deliver, you know, get stuff delivered. I really don't want to go out anymore and start uh, shopping in stores. Yeah. yeah. It might be a little safer, but yeah. not 100% safe. We're pretty lucky that we're, we have a nice... Um, Oh, the guard gate. Can you hold one second, Adam? <laughs> no, no, this is my introduction. Okay. I'm recording All, the guard gate. <laughs> All right, Dad. <laughs> I can't hold. Okay, nine nine seven eight one. Mom, 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 don't. Did you just say a code? No, that's the phone number. Of what? <laughs> of. The guard gate is hey. calling to say that something, someone's coming in. All right. I, I, well, this is, all, this is all going to be in the podcast, but as, as long as we okay. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, well, thank you guys for doing the introduction. I'm going to throw now to my interview with Molly Stevens. Molly is uh, one of my favorite cookbook authors. She wrote the book All About Braising, which is one of my favorite cookbooks of all time. She wrote the book All About Roasting, and she has a new book out called All About Dinner, and she's won many awards. She was the Cooking Teacher of the Year from Bon Appetit Magazine and the IACP, and she's been published in Food and Wine, Bon Appetit, The Wall Street Journal. She's, she's a great guest. And before we get to her, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast by typing in Lunch Therapy and Apple Podcasts, clicking subscribe. And while you're there, if you could write a nice review of us, we'd appreciate it. All right. Well, here's my interview with Molly Stevens. Oh, hey, Molly. There it is. It's Amazing. Working. All right. Well, I just tried it out and it's pretty good. You know, it's not going to sound like the most incredible thing people have ever heard, but it's going to work for our purposes. Okay, great. I'm just turning off my putting my phone on airplane and stuff like that. Okay, okay cool. that's a good cool. idea. Okay. Well, thank you okay. so much for, for being my first, um, I should say, like victim of virtual lunch therapy. <laughs> but, well, I, I'm, I'm, I gotta say, I'm kind of honored to be your first because I know you, you know, what part of what's so great about these is you do them in person and, um, that's a lot of the chemistry and energy from them. Mm -hmm. And, I'm a little intimidated. You have such a roster of guests. My God. Well, yeah. I'm intimidated because you're one of my favorite cookbook authors ever. And I've been. Well, it's very funny because, <laughs> we, you know, we go way back. Yes. But I feel like you're, you know, you, you've just, your star has risen so far in such oh. a short time. It's well, I was just reading your remarkable. website. I mean, talk about a star. I mean, you've, you've won all the awards. You've, you know, you've been, you've been a star for a very long time. In a quiet little way. <laughs> well, I feel like what's, what's so fascinating for me about you is that I really genuinely know you as a cookbook author, and I know your work, but I don't know, and, and I know your nephew, <laughs> funny enough. I, well, that, that's another funny thing. Yeah, yeah, I became friends with your nephew, but I actually don't know a lot about like your story and where you come from and how you got into all this. So I'm very excited to talk to you about all of that. Right. Another reason I'm a little nervous about today's interview, because, you you know, I, I uh, therapy and I have an interesting relationship and I am, I'm not always super open to it. So I'm, oh. I don't know if I'm up to the challenge. But. Well, I mean, life under quarantine is, is changing people. So, you know, maybe this will. Exactly. Well, actually, in our first, so usually the way this works is the first 10 minutes, we'll just chit chat and then we get into the therapy. But I wanted to use this opportunity since you are. Um, the author of so many great cookbooks, including a new book, which I have right over here called All About Dinner, which just came out, which is gorgeous, as all of your books are. And I Thank should say, you. I'm a diehard fan of your All About Braising book. And, and I was just 
mentioning it the other night on Instagram because I've been braising and I made these um, lamb necks. And I, I just looked at my website and the first time I ever made lamb necks was from your book, which it was like lamb necks Provencal. Okay. But I yeah. learned, but that whole yeah. technique of braising, I learned all from you. And it's one of my favorite ways to cook. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. I guess that's it's not really a question. So I was going to say, my question is, um, do you have advice for people right now who are home and trying to make meals for their families and trying to make food last for longer? I mean, is there any kind of cooking advice you can give people or is, is that kind of too general, right? A question. It's such a, you know, there's so much out there. It's funny. A couple people have said, oh, you know, get out there and make some videos and do, you know, add some more content. And there's so much content out there. And I think some, you know, really wonderful people are doing like Melissa Clark, who was a guest on this show. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Alison Roman, a lot of people are doing these wonderful things like, you know, ask me questions or what do you have in your pantry? And, you know, so there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of information out there in terms of advice. It's just. I think it goes back to what I say a lot in all about dinner and I, in, in a lot of my classes is to just, if you can just kind of relax around it a little bit mm-hmm. and um, not try to overachieve necessarily. I mean, it's wonderful. Some people are doing these great DIY projects and you know, all the bread or all the flour, everybody's got running out of flour in the yeah. markets, taking up bread baking. And, you know, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't stop anybody from doing anything that, you know, they had some ambition to, but um, I think to just kind of make really simple meals, you know, I mm-hmm. thought, um, uh, let's, uh, Rancho Gordo, I'm blanking on his name right now. So, um, Steve, right. And yeah. Rancho Gordo. It's actually funny you, you say that. Cause I just think of his name as being Rancho Gordo, but you're right. Right. Oh, Steve, I, yeah. Steve Sando, right. Is that his Sando, name? Yeah. And he, I was reading something he was writing on Twitter about how, you know, when you're bake, making a pot of beans and it's like, you know, put in a ham hock or put in all this, these aromatics. And he said, if you have good beans, just what about just a plain pot of beans? Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes just like really simple things, especially because I find what's happened um, in, even in my own kitchen is that like obviously the leftovers are piling up and the combination of, you know, being at home, not moving as much, even if we're getting exercise, we're still, you know, you're not going to the store as much. You're not getting in and out of your car. You're not doing, you're not getting on and off the bus, whatever. You're not moving as much. You're probably, I know I am eating more, mm-hmm. you know, and at first I was sort of making more elaborate meals and really changing them up. And I was just kind of getting tired of all, all the, all the cooking and all the, all the food. And so to, to dial it back and to have some simpler things, like maybe a pot of rice with a little bit of butter. And I don't know, maybe if you have some peas in the freezer, you hope it's something simple like that. Yeah. Simple cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Simple cooking and trying to, um, one, you know, even though we have all that time, um, well, not everybody has all the time. You know, some people are, a lot of people have, children at home oh, and spouse yeah. at home and partners at home. And so it feels like a lot of time, but that time is, is so filled up with stress and yeah. distraction. Um, well, I also think that there's something in what you're saying that is tied to the idea of just being kind to yourself. You know, pe- yeah. people are too hard on themselves in the kitchen and they, they expect the greatness. And it's like, it doesn't have to be a four star gourmet meal. It can be the sim- a simple dinner, like you're saying, which is great. Yeah. 
Right. And I'm finding like, you know, the first, what are we, this is week two right now. I think we're just, it depends on where you started it, but I actually put a calendar down in the kitchen and I'm crossing off days uh-huh. and not because I'm like, feel like it's a prison sentence and I'm crossing them off because I've lost track. I'm right. losing track of the days. And so it just helps me to come down in the morning and go, Oh, okay. Today's Friday. So I did notice today it's been two weeks since I've been marking the time. And, um, I don't know where I was going with this, but, but that, oh, I know at the very beginning, I was really having fun with some of the meals and, you know, posting these gorgeous pictures and, you know, or thinking about it. And now I'm just, I'm not as inclined to do that. Um, I mean, we're still making really great meals, but um, in between those really great, great meals, you know, maybe it's a bowl of cereal or mm-hmm. maybe it's a grilled cheese sandwich sometimes or whatever it is that's just sort of quick and easy and not too heavy is the wrong word, but almost like, too stimulating. Well, are you are you in Vermont right now? I am in Vermont. Yeah. So what's it like? I mean, are you in like a secluded sort of like cabin in the woods? Like, I mean, are you surrounded by people? Are you in a city? Are you in the country? You know, Adam, I, it's almost as if I built my life for this kind of moment because my day to day is very unchanged. So right. I'm so fortunate right now. I live um, I live in northern Vermont, and it's it's. I live in a rural uh, area outside of Burlington. So the city is close by and I had access to, well, before this, um, had access to all sorts of great things. But um, yeah, I live in a house in the woods on a hilltop. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. My I can't see, another, can't see another house from my house. So you don't have to worry so much about staying seven feet away from people. You're like more than like 70 feet away from people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got, I can go for a, you know, a three mile walk and not, bump into anybody. Wow. That sounds amazing. Because I've worked at home for a long time, you know, a lot of my work is working at home. Um, Day to day doesn't look that different sometimes. So it's very, it's kind of has a surreal quality because, you know, the news is out there and I know what's going on, but you know, like when this all started, I was working on an assignment. So I was doing recipe testing. So I was Mm -hmm. at home cooking and had a full refrigerator because it was a big assignment and lots of ingredients. And, it's sort of like, like a, oh, right. Yeah, the world's on fire, you know. And <laughs> well, I have, in my closet. have you gone into town, though, to get stuff? Like, have you been in, like, have you gone in since this happened? And how's that a- been? Ab- oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, I think the, the biggest change, um, aside from everything else, but just in my own personal routines, is that I used to shop very frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd run out and get something. I forgot something. Or I have three or four different markets that I make stops at, depending on what I need. And um, that's obviously changed because I'm trying to limit my trips to the market. Um, And, you know, certainly I can't go pick up my coffee and my pastry on the way back from the market because they're not open anymore. So it is. Yeah. And then so I was out I was out two days ago and it's um, it's it's weird out there. I mean, what's it like there? It's oh, in L.A. I mean, it is. I was just telling somebody on the phone earlier today that. I went to Gelson's, which is like just my main grocery store, and I saw an image that I will forever remember for like the rest of my life from this period where I was in the meat aisle and there was a man with goggles and like a red scarf around his mouth and like yeah. gloves on his hands, like buying meat. And it was just, it felt like I was in Mad Max or something. I was just like, yeah. what is going on? Um, but it, it, I think it's just scary in a city like this because you know, you like going to a grocery store, there are just lots of people and there's just lots of, you know, you're in this environment where uh, you don't know who's touching what and who's doing what. Right. So, right. Right. Um, 
Well, Molly, I think the time has come to start your therapy session, but don't be nervous. It's just going to feel exactly the same as our first 10 minutes, and we're just going to... All right, I trust. I trust you. Okay, so what did you have for lunch today? So today, it's funny because um, probably for the first time all week, I haven't had leftovers because I deliberately have been trying to you know work through the leftovers. So today, um, I made a... Something I make a lot for lunch, it's uh, rice noodles, and then I make a little stir fry, and I kind of flip the uh, the usual ratio of noodles to vegetables, mm-hmm. so it's less noodles and more vegetables. Okay. Or I would say that I probably, I, I, today I flipped it. I, I vary it according to my appetite and my mood and what I have on hand, and so today I had, um, I stir fried, I had a little bit of red onion. I had a little bit of green cabbage around and some a couple mushrooms that I'm trying to save for a mushroom risotto in a day or two. But I it's like I stole a few from that. Uh-huh. And then um, what else went in there? So it was cabbage, red onion, mushroom, scallion. Um, I feel like there was something else I'm forgetting. And then and then I, you know, soaked some rice noodles and then uh, oh, some ginger and garlic and um, probably more garlic than I would have done if I was actually in person with you <laughs> right. I dosed myself I'm trying to you know boost my immunities right yeah yeah um, and then um and then I soak the rice noodles until they're soft and then throw those in at the end when all the vegetables are sauteed uh-huh. and then finish it with a sauce with some fish sauce and lime and a, l- a little just a pinch of sugar um it's actually a, kind of a riff of something there's a recipe in the book about it okay. but uh, and then I put it in a bowl and put um, some kimchi on top. Wow! Um, with a little um, and it, it's it's funny. I do it, it. I do it. It's like I said. It's something I make a lot um, for lunch for myself, um, even if I'm just working home. And uh, yeah, had a little little bowl. Well, it sounds delicious. I mean, one of the first things that it makes me think about is your relationship to technique, because you have mm. these two books. One is about braising. One is about roasting, and then this was a stir fry. And I don't know, there's something about the idea of like these techniques that you know and master. Um, and there's, I don't know what that reveals about you psychologically, but I do find it interesting that that you you kind of have this focus on using different techniques to get through life. I don't know if that resonates for you. Or... Yeah, it's it, 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 no, it very much does. And I think it was funny as I was making it. Of course, I was thinking about you know talking to you later and. I realized that there's this, like, when I turn on the stove, like, just even the click of the ignition on my gas stove, there's this, like, I feel my, my, I start to calm down. It's mm-hmm. like the hear, hearing the little chime at the yoga studio when it's time to do your <laughs> meditation. It's like that, that sound just makes me go, I just yeah. start to calm down. And then, you know, and then I start chopping the onion. And of course, if it's something like this that I make frequently and, I'm not writing a recipe. I'm not, I'm just cooking. I don't do, like, I don't, I don't prep. I don't have any mise en place. Mm -hmm. I just turn on the stove and start chopping. You know, it all is very, and I'm very focused and my mind kind of goes quiet for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's not, I'm not really answering your question about the technique, but I think part of, there's this thing that happens when we really know how to do something. Right. And that we are doing it without thinking. 
Well, this, right? there's, a, there's a structure to a technique, right? It's like, you know, when you're, when you're using a technique, you know, the basics, like with braising, like you brown the meat, like you add your aromatics, you add your liquid. So like, once you have that framework, then you can play and relax and do what you want to do, right? Right, right. And there's a security in that, mm-hmm. like that knowledge that there's something, there's there's control in it. There's, I don't know, power. I don't, it's, it's, you know, power is a weird word, but no, there's that a makes certain, sense. Yeah, you feel like you're in control of your situation when you're doing that. And mm-hmm. I find oftentimes I'll take a break. Um, I mean, I have lunch every day if I'm, if I'm home. Um, I, I take a break and have lunch even if it's... Uh, you know, busy day. And it just, it, it takes me out of what I'm doing. It's a real reset for me. Um, and I think that it's, I mean, you know, why don't I just eat a sandwich? One, I prefer something cooked than a sandwich, mm-hmm. but also I think connecting to that technique, once again, that, you know, hearing the sizzle of the, when the onion hits it, you know, watching it caramelize just sort of reminds me of everything about cooking that, that is, reliable yeah well it makes me it makes me wonder about um cooking for your job versus cooking for yourself because like when you're working on a cookbook or you're cooking working on an article do you treat the that recipe testing as its own thing and then when it's time for lunch then you make yourself a separate lunch or do do the two things kind of collide um they're separate right they're separate. So it'll sometimes, yeah, that's funny. I ju- that's really funny. I'm just realizing this because I, in the evening they will collide. Mm-hmm. Like I will do recipe testing in the day sort of with the goal that at night that becomes dinner. Mm-hmm. But at lunch, I'm usually take a break from all that. That's kind of like, that's my me time. You're like the perfect uh, guest for this podcast because it sort of feels like you take lunch seriously as I do too. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't do well if I miss a meal. Yeah. Uh, I've never, and I don't, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's blood sugar or something like that, but I just, I, you know, what's that hangry thing? I just, (laughs) I, and I think also, I don't know, you may find this, Adam, that, I mean, you're, well, you still write about food and um, or, and certainly post about food, talk about food. But if I'm writing about food and I'm like really hungry, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Funny thing. It's like, you know, where to, yeah, where to place that meal in the day because you can't, if I get too hungry, I, I, I can't focus on like writing about it. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think this is a natural way to sort of like segue back a little bit to your past because I'm kind of curious to know. I mean, this is one of the common themes on this podcast is like whether people who are really into food and cooking for themselves grew up in a home with lots of cooking or whether they grew up in a home with no cooking at all. Because a lot of my guests, including myself, um, grew up in a house where nobody cooked and then I got really into cooking. But I'm curious for you, like, how did you grow up? I grew up in a house with a lot of cooking. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in a a, a very um, pretty traditional, you know, mom, dad, four kids, and um, we had dinner every night mm-hmm. together. Um, we had you know breakfast at whatever was cereal, but every night was dinner. Um, and where were, this was in Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. Yeah. I looked on your yeah. website, so that's why I know that. But okay. Yeah. So Buffalo, yeah. New York. Like grew in Buffalo, New York, and then and we also had um, lots of cousins and uh, extended family, and so we would do Sunday dinners, and we would do you know every holiday, and mm-hmm. 
was, was a big family gathering. So there was a lot of, like, that's where we would celebrate and gather and come together. So and, you were one of four children? Yes. And so are you the oldest, youngest, middle? Third. 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 Ah. Yes. So what is that? Is that like a middle child syndrome when you're the third? Yeah, I, th- I think there's some of that because especially it was boy, girl, girl, boy. So I'm, I'm, you know, there's the oldest my brother, the oldest boy, then the oldest girl, mm-hmm. and then there's the baby. And so I'm like, not, none of the above, right? <laughs> wow, that's almost like worse than being Jan Brady or was it? Yeah, Jan Brady was the middle child, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, wait, right. so I'm friends with your nephew, Connor. And this right, is- but he he's from my husband's side of the family. Oh, your husband's family. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay, got yes. it. Connor's uh, mom is my sister-in-law, my brother, my husband's sister. Well, it's very unprofessional of me to bring in my own personal connection to you into this podcast, but I felt like I had to to mention it. I think it's great. I think it's really fun. Okay, so you're one of four. You grew up in Buffalo. And what is Buffalo food like? I I immediately think of Buffalo wings. Is that that all you ate growing up, or did you have other stuff too? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, Adam, it is. No, no, no. No, actually, um, Buffalo wings are, I mean, they're bar food, um, and we we didn't go out, so we didn't didn't go out to eat much. so, I mean, I've certainly eaten my share of buffalo wings and when I was going to bars, you know, as older. But um, <laughs> um, the buffalo food scene, when I was growing up, I certainly don't remember much about it because, as I said, we, we would go out to um, this, oh, my gosh, this Italian uh, place down on the west side that was, you went in and there was the giant brass espresso maker mm-hmm. and and then, you know, red uh, bank cats and booze and very, you know, heavy, um, stuffed shells and things like that. It was just very classic, uh, old school Italian, but, um, the food scene there wasn't, um, really going off when I was there, but, but, uh, right now it's an incredible place. There's so much happening in Buffalo right now. But you were saying your family didn't go out much. So what, what was your, what did your parents do? Like, what was the, what were the circumstances that you grew up in? I mean, were they, um, did, did either of them work from home? Did they both work? Did, you know, uh, my my dad was a lawyer, and my mom um, she was a homemaker, but she was also very busy out, outside of the house. She was very involved in a lot of volunteer activities, mm-hmm. and busy. It was a busy household. There was a lot going on. Okay. It was you know sort of what are you gonna, what are you going to do today, and how are you going to help the community, and are you going to go help the neighbor and be of service? And there was this whole idea that you were going to participate and help. And there were often people at the, um, I remember, I mean, there were six of us, but there was, it seems like there was always somebody able or somebody staying over or somebody, you know, living with us for one reason or another, or a foreign exchange student, or there just right. was a lot coming and going. It was well, just, it makes me think busy. of, it makes me think immediately of you living in the woods away from all these people right now. It almost feels like you've created a life for yourself that's the total opposite of what you grew up with. Well, some of my uh, introverted introvert friends and I have been, you know, we, we laugh about how we've been social distancing for quite some <laughs> oh, time. Oh, yeah. No, Craig, my husband Craig says that um, I'm thriving right now. He's like, you like this. He's like, you're enjoying this. And I'm like... Kind of. This is kind of what I do anyway, you know. But. Yeah, there's, there's. I mean, there. Obviously, we're we're making light of it, and there, there's, you know, underneath it all is a lot. Um, Tragedy. You know, and the choice to stay home is, you know, what I call solitude is very different than the, you know, being forced to stay home. But, but yeah, I um, I uh, the rest of my family is actually still in Buffalo, New York. Okay. Um, yeah, and I I did move away, and yeah, I've always liked the 
outdoors. And it's funny though. I feel like a city kid mm-hmm. um, living in the country. Okay. And when I live in the city, I feel like a country, per, you know, a rural person stuck in the city. So I've sort of always had kind of two. It's kind of how I am and uh, how I ended up in cooking too. Because I one of the things I love about the kitchen is the physicality of it. Mm-hmm. I I love you know big pots and pans and, and hauling things and moving things. And I but just, it, it makes I, me think a little bit also of like that idea of like a room of one's own, like the Virginia Woolf book, like that, like for you in this chaotic household where there were exchange students and just towards is like to go into a kitchen and to have this meditative place where you can turn on the stove and feel calm must be very relaxing for you. And, and like, like your own oasis. Yeah, and like I, as I said, you feel in control. I feel in control. Right. Huh. Okay. No. This is a lot um, of insight that you're getting for free. I, I, I got to say. I, I got to tell you, this is pretty, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But okay, but I want to no, know. Good. So you grew up in Buffalo. You had the, you grew up in this big house, all this stuff going on. And where did you go after um, you left? Did you, did you go to college in Buffalo? Did you go to New York? Where no. Was- no, I actually went to college in Vermont. And it was the first time I okay. spent time in Vermont. I came up to Vermont to go to college and, um, which college I went to Middlebury college. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And got, got a degree in English literature. Okay. So you got, you got my Virginia Woolf reference right away. Exactly. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I actually thought I was getting a degree in Amlet, but, um, anyway, ended up with a degree in English lit. And, uh, and so is that, is that something that stayed with you in terms of being a writer and writing cookbooks? Like, do you think as do you think in a literary sense as you're writing, or do you do you see any connection between what you studied and what you do now? You know, it's 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 funny because um, I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. When I was you know go up, I had a bedroom up in the attic and mm-hmm. um, would would you know write and fill my journals with all my discontent and think <laughs> I was going to poet, you know, and be I don't know live in Greenwich Village or something and smoke cigarettes and. and <laughs> And I never, I, I don't, I mean, I, I certainly wrote a lot in college and, you know, in high school and I was good at school, but I never, I, I, I left all that behind thinking I wasn't going to become a writer. And it wasn't until I was well into being a food writer that I was like, oh yeah, I wanted to be a writer in the first place. I, <laughs> I don't I'd forgotten it. It was like I left childish dreams behind. Um, so I don't approach Certainly didn't start writing about food from a literary. I mean, you could tell that's not my style. I think it's fascinating though, because Melissa Clark has the same kind of thing. She went to grad school at Columbia for um, for like creative writing, and yeah. she's a food writer too. I but I and I went to grad school for playwriting, and I yeah. think, but I think what's so liberating about food writing is that it's no there's no bells and whistles. It's, it sort of feels like it it, stri- it strips away all the kind of highfalutin fancy stuff that you're supposed to do in a novel or something it's like no it's very direct and clear but if you're good at it it's incredibly useful and and impactful in people's lives well and i think that's exactly what i like about it is it feels like the, the writing just being a writer at least my image of it when i was much younger felt so um self-indulgent you know mm-hmm. and sort of um what did I have to say? I didn't have, especially then I didn't have any life experience to draw sure. from. And so, so being able, but I, but I liked to write. I mean, it's, it's just something I've always, I have a graduate degree in English lit as well. Oh, and, cool. uh, yeah. I went on and got another degree. Where was um, that? 
I, that was actually at the um, Breadloaf School of English. Sure. I, I have a friend who uh, just did the summer um, program there uh, for novel yeah. writing. Yeah. Yeah, I did it in in, a, in the summers because that's the only way you can do it. And I did it. Um, um, is your friend a teacher? Or are they in academia? Uh, no, he's a he's a, he's he wrote a novel and submitted it to Breadloaf and got to go to like their workshop or it was just like a oh, summer nice. a summer workshop. But he that's loved great. it. Yeah. But yeah, just like you were saying, I love the utility of food writing. Yeah. And I love that it doesn't have to, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't, I don't say it's not personal because it is. And I think my writing has become more personal over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sense of, of doing something of service, you know, mm-hmm. of, that's useful. Like, like, I remember, I still remember, I still, like, the first time someone told me that they had actually, they were relating a story that their mother had cooked one of my recipes Mm -hmm. and I've been writing recipes for a while and publishing them mostly in fine cooking magazine first. And even though I'd had several published, several articles published, I never, I never understood that people are going to go to their homes and make these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understood it on an intellectual level, but it hadn't really struck me. And when this, this, young person told me that his mother had been making this muscle recipe and that she loved it. It just like something shifted for me. I was like, that's, that's so cool. Like, yeah. That's so and it also, there's a huge responsibility that comes with that, mm-hmm. that you're, you're, people are taking your words into their homes. They're, you know, going to the trouble of getting the ingredients. They're setting aside the time. In many cases, they are entertaining. A lot of people love to you know, do things for, and, you know, that's a real commitment on their part. So it's like, I take it very seriously that, that, that I, what I provide them will work for them. Well, I, I, I latched onto the word, you used the word service, that you're providing a service. And I mm-hmm. thought about, you said that your mom uh, was service oriented. And so it seems like there's yep. a connection there between, and, and, and did you, had you drawn that connection for yourself? I mean, do you, do you think about what you do in that same way that your mom would volunteer? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, and I don't know if I put it directly to my, my parents, but this notion, it's certainly very um, um, drilled into me that, you know, to, to make your, to contribute something. Well, actually, you know? it makes me think of your cookbooks, actually, because I'm, I'm, now that I'm really thinking about them, there's not like glamour shots of you in the kitchen, like, posing and, you know, like, you know, makeup on and like in front of a window, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm just thinking about these cookbooks that come out that are vanity projects for people. Right. And yours, yours are truly the least vain cookbooks that can possibly exist. I mean, they are, they're, they're recipes, they're ideas, they're techniques, they're, you know, ingredients that people may not know about, but they're, they're, they're there to serve as tools that are not, there's no, you know, there's nothing about them that's fanciful or narcissistic well and also i mean part of that i think um adam comes from when i my first book all about braising which was what 16 years ago oh my now God. that's when i started cooking too so that's really I funny know. yeah um you know i certainly i mean nobody nobody had ever heard of you know i didn't i don't i still don't really have a platform i mean i have three books you know i have a have a certainly have a um you know, um, work out there, but the only thing that I had to sort of sell, you know, in the book was the book itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 
So like, I mean, that was it. It had to stand on its own. It didn't, it wasn't a companion to a TV show or a restaurant, a food personality. Yeah. You know, it's not that. It's just, here's a really solid technique that, um, that if you, I mean, back to what we're talking about techniques is, I mean, I, I do believe that if you, you know, have a few techniques in your back pocket, you, I mean, you are such a wonderful example of oh. everything that I've tried to do because Thank you, you if you have a few techniques, as I said, in your back pocket, everything you do builds on those and you become, I mean, you're an amazing cook right now. I look at your stuff on your, <laughs> your food, but I watch your stories on Instagram. And oh. things. Actually, our, my nephew tells me what a good cook you are. Oh, thank um, you. Well, we'll have to have you over next time you, when this is all over and you get when to, this is all over. Yeah. Right. We should say I was supposed to be at your home today, but oh, I know. My, my trip to LA got canceled. That must um, be very frustrating, by the way, to have a whole book tour planned and to not be able to do it. Yeah, I, I, of course it is. I feel um, I feel very fortunate that the book came out in the fall, so I had a little bit of time out there. Yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of colleagues are, whose books are coming out this spring aren't so fortunate. Mm. But but um, but yeah. So the, if you have some techniques, then it just builds and builds and builds. And so braising is a tech such a such a basic technique. Yeah. That um, actually, I'm braising something right now, but we can oh. talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, for me, I have to say of, of all the cooking techniques that I encountered in my early days of learning how to cook, there was something mind blowing about braising when I, when I started I'm truly from your cookbook. It was just like, cause I think, I think it has something to do with like infusing flavor into things. It's like, cause if you sear a steak or you sear a pork chop, I mean, that, that can taste good, but, um, but to like, to take all these aromatics and put them in a pot with like a tough cut of meat and have all that go into the meat. And I just remember having my mind blown by it and, yeah. and, and still yeah. to this day, but wait, Molly, yeah. I think you're kind of distracting us from your, from the deep psychological journey that we're going on with you. <laughs> um, so you were in Vermont and you went to college and then you went to, um, you did a grad program at Breadloaf, And, and so did you stay in Vermont basically for the rest of your life? No, not at all. Not at all. I never intended to stay here. So I came to Vermont for college and then I left Vermont after college. Um, oh, I went to Alaska for that summer and cut fish, but that's a side story. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, then I went to Boston with the intent of getting a real job. Mm -hmm. Um, and a real job meant something. I had been cooking in restaurants and just sort of I mean, those were the jobs I picked up um, along the way, you know, side jobs. And I mean, I worked in the cafeteria at the college and things like that um, because I'd always cooked and had cooked, um, uh, could get those jobs. And so uh, I went to Boston thinking I was going to get a real job, meaning one not in the kitchen mm -hmm. and um, ended up cooking at a place called the Magic Pan, okay. which was like crepery. It was just so bad. So, but so I was... Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, th I don't think. I'm not sure it still exists. I think I've seen it. I think there might be one yeah. in LA. I don't know why that's in my mind, but I yeah. think I've driven past one. But so I had jobs and just not. You know, I had worked at steakhouses and fast food restaurants, and you know, but always in the kitchen, and so it was just cooking. Um, and then um, just wasn't going anywhere. Was feeling kind of you know aimless and didn't have a future and was, was, you know, struggling to put, get my feet on the ground, even though I had a college degree and all that. Um, and so I ended up, came back to Vermont with some friends and, um, was baking there and, or up here anyways, blah, blah, blah. I 
got it in my brain that I was going to go to France. Oh. And yeah, just, I was really just casting about for something that would, nothing was sticking. I wasn't, you know, finding my way. I wasn't, wasn't happy. Um, and I, uh, I bought a one-way ticket to Paris, France. One-way was... ticket. Okay. Yeah. yeah when yeah, when was I, this? Was this in the eighties or? Yes, this was in the eighties, and so I was in my early twenties. Okay. And, um, I just dated myself, but that's okay. That's fine. And um, uh, yeah, I bought a one-way. I'd never been overseas. Had to get a passport. Didn't you know? Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't speak French. Um, but just sort of got it in my mind that I would go and find something. But I think I borrowed four hundred dollars. I have a question um, though, in terms of your parents, because I'm thinking about your dad being a lawyer and your mom being in service, you know, volunteering and stuff, like what was their attitude towards cooking? Like, were they encouraging of cooking or did they think it was something that, you, that I don't know, did they, did they have an attitude towards it? They didn't, nobody took it seriously as a career and I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't championing it. I wasn't saying I want to be a cook because I thought, you know, that in my brain's I was supposed to become something else. I was supposed to get a job. I don't know what it was. You know, friends were working for marketers and they were secretaries and, you know, getting started or going to graduate school for something useful. And I just couldn't, you know, nothing, nothing stuck. I didn't have a passion for anything. I didn't have a drive for anything. Um, And so I don't think, yeah, I I don't, I don't, I don't think my parents were concerned about my welfare. I think they wanted me to be happy and find something I wanted to do. Well, it's almost like cooking snuck up on you. It's like cooking was yeah. always like in the background, but it, it didn't seem like a thing you could make a career out of. And it was, but right. it was always kind of there for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was what I would fall back on. And so the, the going to France thing was um, just on a whim and kind of to shake things up. And uh, it, it, it turned out to work because I got over there and I realized that food was was a really big deal and that you know there was this whole I didn't know about gourmet food I didn't really understand that so I got over there and I just my mind was blown by what do you do when you go to I mean by the way Susan Feniger was on this podcast um and she's a chef and she had a very similar trajectory to you she went to Vermont and then she went to France and worked in kitchens in France and so I didn't Susan spent time in Vermont yeah she did she lived in a in a teepee with her boyfriend in Vermont Oh, wow. No, I lived in a farmhouse with a bunch of people. Not quite a teepee, but it was definitely, you know, I worked at a hippie cafe. Right. Maybe you crossed paths and didn't realize it. Yeah, isn't that funny? I should should check that out. Yeah. Um, So, okay, so you got to France, but when you get to France and you are one-way ticket there and you're still trying to find yourself, like, where did you go? Like, what did you do? So I had, I had, um, I don't know what the program was, but there was a woman who took in, uh, I think for, you know, there was another, uh, remember there was a Japanese girl living with her, I had a Japanese roommate and myself lived in this woman's apartment and it was turned out to be like out in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't, didn't look like Paris. It just felt like some sort of industrial suburb. And she wasn't, I don't, my memory was that she wasn't a great cook. And so we would have like nothing very interesting to eat Mm -hmm. and, you know, canned peas and a ham steak. And I'm like, this doesn't feel like France to me, you know? (laughs) I don't know what it is, but it doesn't feel like France, but it was a place to at least stay, you know, to get, learn my way around and figure a few things out. And so, um, I did. And then I, I enrolled in a school to learn to speak French mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and kind of just, you know, explored and walked about and, um, and wrote letters and somebody had given me a name of, of a gentleman by the name of Robert Noah. 
mm-hmm. who um, ran a tourist culinary tourist business there. And so I knocked on his door just to ask him because food was, you know, I was food was my driver at this point. Still, I was sort of that's the only thing, as we just said, is what I fell back on. And so he told me about uh, La Varenne Cooking School, which I had never heard of. Oh, wait, who's the woman that runs it? Ann Willen. Yeah, I have her cookbooks. Okay. Yeah, she's amazing. She's she's I owe much of my much of my um, background, my formation to Ann Willen. And I went and knocked on the door at La Varenne because they had a program where they would accept, this is a bilingual cooking school for Americans or English speakers to come and learn classes from French chefs. So the classes would be translated from French into English. And so she would bring on, I think there were anywhere from nine to 12 unpaid trainees at a time that would help run the school. Hmm. This is this crew of, of anyway, I, I, so I heard about this program. I said, well, that sounds great. I could work and learn more. You know, it's like a work study program. Um, and so I knocked on the door and they sent me away because I didn't speak French. Mm. And then I was like, well, I really need to learn French. And then they called me back. And I, I remember they called me back, but I, how would they have called me? I don't know. How, <laughs> they didn't have cell phones. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Maybe, yeah. maybe you gave them the number of the woman you were staying with. Right. Or I had a P.O. box or something or, yeah, yeah it's funny how we manage, but, um, <laughs> they called me back and, and they said, can you start? I said, well, I still don't speak French. And they said, that's okay. We need you anyway. So mm. you start at the very bottom and you're in the basement and you run errands and then you graduate up to doing dishes in the classrooms. And then you graduate up to assisting and then you graduate up to actually translating demonstration classes. And because I knew my way around a kitchen, I could translate from French into English. Hmm. I couldn't speak French, but I could say, well, this chef is obviously (laughs) sauteing an onion now, you know? So um, over, you know, and I still continue to study French and and I I made my way and I ended up staying there um, and then working for Anne afterwards. She actually kept me on um, to help. And I I stayed, I stayed in France for almost two, well, two and a half years. Um, and then continued to work for Ann Willen on and off over the years. So was there a moment of discovery when you were there where you felt like you were transitioning from the kind of cooking you were doing in America to, to becoming a, a, a more formidable or more talent? Like, like, did you discover your talent there? Like, did you, did you realize that you were good at this when you were doing it? I realized that I loved it. Okay. I realized that it was where I was home. I realized that I was... I don't want to say fearless, but that it was just, it was, I was all in, you know, it was just felt there was nothing that I wouldn't have tried or undertaken or, um, I, I was never tired. I was never bored. I always wanted more. It makes me think also like the way you talk about it, it almost feels like you, you shifted into a society that revered food and that changed the way you thought about food too. That like, like coming, coming from America, like it was a different way of thinking about it. Absolutely. And that I, 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 I was able to put value on my, my, you know, experience and my knowledge, my ability. Um, and that, and that I could make a life out of it. You know, that, that these were people who like, these were full blown, you know, the chefs that I was working with and, um, you know, Anne, of course, but, you know, these were full-blown professional grown-up adults whose whole lives revolved around food. Yeah. 
Well, I, I never had that role model before. And it must, it must be interesting for you, like having been through that, to see how America has changed its attitudes about food now, that people are all making sourdough bread at home now and right. buying Rancho Gordo beans and watching Top Chef and, you know, watching Netflix cooking. You know, it feels like food has suddenly become much more important in America. It's amazing to see and it's amazing to be a sort of, um, I sometimes wonder if food were, you know, if it were today and if I was in my 20s, if it would appeal to me, mm. if I would get into it. And I, I mean, it's a tough question because I feel like I'm so wired to be involved with food. I think I often think if I were to start again, I might have become a butcher. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. It's but not too late. You could still do it. <laughs> I know. I know. But I part of I think part of why I gravitated towards food was that it was I was a bit rebellious and it was felt like kind of a. Um, I don't know. It just felt like I was breaking rules by doing it or yeah. something. It was much more um, an un, un, unpaved path. Now it, feels more, now it feels more paved to you? Well, it's so crowded, too. I don't know that I would have even, I wouldn't have known where to start, you know. Yeah. Um, what about butchery appeals to you? Um, isn't that funny? I, 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 again, maybe the physicality of it, too. And it's just such a, it's so interesting. It's funny because I don't actually, like when I went to France, I was a vegetarian. <laughs> really? That's hard. <laughs> How did you do I that? Know. You know, college thing. You just, yeah. you know, no, but like, how did you get through <laughs> Anne Willen's cooking school as a vegetarian? Oh, the minute I got to France, I dropped that. Oh, you dropped it when yeah. you got there. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. But even though, I mean, even, you know, we're going back to the, my noodles today, you know, some days if there's leftover meat around, I'll put some in it. But I tend not to eat a lot of meat. Like, you know, breakfast, lunch is just not, and, you know, and dinner, not every night kind of thing. I just don't eat a ton of it, but I love, I just, cooking it it's so back to braising it's so amazing what yeah. you can do with various cuts i mean i was listening to your interview with fergus um and trevor which is i can't believe i'm talking to you and you talk to fergus henderson i feel like that's like and he was in my apartment and it was so bizarre because it was like why is he here i couldn't believe it it must have been kind of surreal it was surreal i mean they, they were challenging because you know i mean it was like set up by a publicist it was like they came sure. and they're like who is this person and why is he asking us personal questions but I think it went well overall. You did a wonderful job. Oh. Really, I'm very impressed because I, you. I, I, you know, I could tell it's you know, there's they were reticent and there and there are two of them too, which changes the dynamic. But yeah. um, when he was talking about like having lunch with his wife or his whole thing about lunch and how the potential, I mean, the man's a poet. The words yeah. that just fall out of his mouth. Yeah. Just, I, I, I don't know if I could have kept up my side of the conversation as well, well as you. But I think you don't give yourself enough credit. I mean, I, I, even hearing your story, and I'm just so fascinated by the, the. I love that, like, you studied English literature and that you were finding yourself in that food. And, and, I, and there's something about food feeling and how the journey for you is to understand that food was important and that it, it, yeah. and that it was on the same level in some way as the other things you devoted your life to. Yeah, and that, it, and, that and, and so, I, I mean, I feel so fortunate that I've been able to sometimes when I think about my my path, how I you know ended up doing this, I I feel like it wasn't a path. I just bumbled along. But <laughs> you know, I realized that that what feels like bumbling along is more saying yes to things, and I just didn't wasn't aware of what I was saying no to. I just sort of mm. was I was finding my way by just staying true to something that I knew, you know, that made me 
that made me happy, that made me feel um, like my feet were on the ground. Well, we're running out of time. We still have a little bit of time, but I, I wanted to make sure that we get to how you went from searching for yourself, going to Ann Willen's cooking school, working there, and then becoming celebrated cookbook author Molly Stevens. You know, what what was the transition? How did you go from A to B? So A to B is I um, left France to go work at the French Culinary Institute in New York City. Sure. It's, I forget what it's called now. Um, and then, so from there, I ended up in culinary education. And then I met um, uh, who guy who's now my husband, uh, who was living in Vermont. And that brought me back to Vermont. Is he, like, what does your husband do? Uh, he is a transportation engineer. Wow. Civil engineer. Okay. Um, and he was living in Vermont. And so I ended up back in Vermont after living in Paris and New York City. I'm like, how am I back in Vermont? And, <laughs> Worked at the New England Culinary Institute for a number of years, and then I started writing uh, magazine articles for Fine Cooking Magazine when they when it first came out, um, and was doing that for quite a while until I met Maria Guarnaschelli, mm-hmm. uh, the legendary food editor. Alex's Cook- mother. Yeah, Alex's mother, um, and the editor of a lot of books that I know are on your shelf, like Marcella and uh-huh. um, Lynn Rosetta and some amazing, amazing authors. Um and she and I started a relationship and we, I did the Brazing book with her. Wow. And that, that was the first book. So what was it like for you to have to go from teaching people how to cook to then coming up with original recipes that warranted a cookbook? Because I, I, I find that very difficult to say, you know, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've gotten to that place yet where I could be like, okay, I'm going to come up now with 150 or however many original recipes, like, was that something you'd always been doing? Were you always coming up with recipes or did that happen later? That's a really good question. I've never thought of that. Um, that happened later. Um, I mean, as you know, working in restaurants, work cooking for myself all the time. I mean, I'm always coming up with new dishes. You mm-hmm. just sort of, that goes back to the technique thing. If you have the techniques down, you're just cooking and things are, you're just putting things together and they're new, you know, they're not, um, there's, and so it was when uh, Martha Holmberg, um, who I met in France a um, long, long time ago, when she was working at Fine Cooking, she's the one who gave me my first assignment. I had an assignment, and it was rack of lamb, and mm-hmm. I had to come up with three treatments for rack of lamb. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I've always collected cookbooks. I think you can see behind me lots oh, of yeah. cookbooks. Amazing. Um, and uh, so I just started a process of how do you come up with your own, you know, um, twist on something or your own take on it but i think what i like about your stuff is that there's an authenticity to it like it's like i think there's some cookbooks where it's like you know let's pair some five crazy ingredients together and make some bold insane thing but i feel like with yours it's it all makes a lot of sense there's a lot of logic to it it's not you're not going so far afield it's sort of just things that make sense together and you know that taste good together yeah, there's something I was just um, rereading the introduction to Nigella Lawson's first book, How to Eat. Mm-hmm. And she talks about that sort of push, that striving for originality mm-hmm. and how dangerous it is when you're writing recipes because you can just lose the lose what's good what about a recipe. You know, mm-hmm. you can lose what makes it. I mean, you think about, um, oh, what's an example of, of something that's wonderful, but, you know, you take one of your favorite tomato sauces or something you know mm-hmm. if, you, if you go too far in one yeah. direction get too crazy it, it doesn't 
taste good anymore. It doesn't make sense. So there's a common sense in putting together food. And so it's a tricky balance when you're as a recipe developer, because obviously, you know, I wrote a book called All About Roasting and there's a roast chicken in there. Mm-hmm. What's new about roast chicken? Right. Nothing. But it's, I still needed a recipe for roast chicken in that book, you know? So it's a, it's a, it's something, it's a very fine line and it is probably one of the biggest challenges, but it's one that I kind of enjoy. Well, it's funny because the one of the most talked about recipes on this podcast so far has been Marcella Hazan's roast chicken with lemons, mm-hmm. and it's like two lemons. And I haven't, I actually haven't made it yet because it it seems too simple. It doesn't seem that exciting to me. But I kind of think I should make it just to sort of see what all the fuss is about. But I, I think what's interesting too is like when you talk about doing a roast chicken in your roasting book. It's like I would make what you. Even even if it was the simplest thing in the world, it's because it's Molly Stevens' approach to roast chicken. I want to try what she does, you know. It's like you're an authority figure. So it's even if it's not that novel, like even if you're not changing things up too much or putting like, you know, God knows what and, you know, Campari and with your roast chicken. It's like it's more about the fact that this is what she does. So I want to see what that's like, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, wow, it's kind of hard to. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I'm sure you feel that way about the people you admire, you know, like the cookbook authors Absolutely. that you read that you just trust. It's like you're trusting their taste and you're trusting their approach. And I think with your approach, it's like there is a no nonsense approach to your stuff. It's like this is there's no frills. This is the this is just going to taste good and it's going to be yep. good. Yeah. And that's why I think something that's really important. And I know we're running out of time, but I think for 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 cooks, home cooks who are trying to learn from cookbooks is if like you have to find who speaks to you, mm-hmm. you know, everybody, I mean, you know, we all have our own tastes and what authors speak to you. And those are the ones to sort of track down and follow that, you know, and that's why social media is so great right now, because you can follow someone else's group, you know, who, you know, ask them who they like or that kind of thing, because yeah, everybody has their own, own language in the kitchen. Who are your favorite cookbook authors? I mean, of course, like the Judy Rogers, that Zuni Cafe cookbook. Yeah. I mean, that book just slays me. I just, every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I, I love um, Nigel Slater. Mm-hmm. Those books, um, Nigel Lawson too, the, the British books are very, very um, fond of. I mean, I, that's such a hard question because, oh my gosh, I love, the, there's so many wonderful books. I mean, I'm, right now we're sitting on a, um, dropped you, a <laughs> stack of books. Um so I change it up a lot too. I change it up a lot. Do you still read a lot of literature? I mean, are you still in, in, engaged in in the English stuff that you studied long ago? Uh, I love reading fiction. I still love fiction. Who are, yeah. your, who are some of your favorite authors? Um, who are some of my favorite authors? You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Off the top of your head, I mean, just like some of the ones that you know you've enjoyed reading over the years, or what's on your nightstand right now? I know this feels like a sidebar, but I'm actually very curious because because of your background. Um, on my nightstand right now, you know what? I'm actually somebody gave me a copy of Harriet the Spy. Harriet the Spy. Because I referenced it in one of my books. Okay. And someone gave it to me, and I just finished a really challenging book. Um, Which was called what? Flight, but Flight by Olga. Um, she's a Polish author. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blank on her last name, and it was beautiful, but really challenging. It really sort of put me through the ringer. And I think part of it was this is a challenging time to read that book mm-hmm. because it's about 
it's about how, how separate we are and it's about travel. It's about global things. And I was like, why am I reading this right now? Mm-hmm. It kind of blew my- so somebody had given me this copy of Harriet the Spy. So I picked it up. Um, and it, it, it it's, it's a little weird reading, especially in light of this conversation, because I'm wondering why I related so much to this book when I was a kid. Yeah. Doesn't hold up well over time. Oh, really? I only know it, there was a movie version with Rosie O'Donnell in it that I saw when I was younger. And I, I liked the movie, but I've never read the book. That has to be terrible. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I just can't imagine it as a movie because I've been trying to imagine it as a movie. And um, But I have a, a Murakami. I read a lot of oh, yeah. I really love his books. Um, I have the what we what I talk about when I talk about running. That's so funny because I just started running outside because obviously can't go to the gym anymore. And and I used to run on a treadmill because I hate running. So the treadmill would force me to run. But I did that so much that now I I live near Griffith Park in L.A. And so I've been running into Griffith Park and I've been running along the river and over a bridge. And I'm like, this is beautiful. Like, why? Why haven't I been doing this? You know, and so I kind of want to read his book about running to kind of. Running's great. I used to run a lot. I used to run marathons. Really? Yeah. Um, I read a bunch of Neil Gaiman. I, I recently reread the Philip Pullman books. Okay. Um, Interesting. So I've never I, read those, but I'm curious about them. I hadn't been in, I guess they call it, you call it fantasy. I hadn't really been into it, but um, somebody gave them to me as a gift and I just completely devoured them in the winter. Um, hmm. And then um, Sally Rooney, Normal People. I haven't read that yet. I'm reading the Patrick right. Melrose books right now. Have you ever read those? Oh, you are? Yeah. They're, Did you enjoy them? They're good. They're 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 hard. I mean, they're really funny, but they're very dark, incredibly dark. Yeah. But I kind of like yeah. dark humor. Um, yeah. Well, Molly, we're nearing the end of the podcast, and I, 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 since you've listened to a couple, I guess you know where I'm going with this. But we usually start with "What did you have for lunch?" But we end with "What are you having for dinner tonight?" Okay, but before I answer that, I have to. I don't know if this will embarrass me or you more, but I remember the first time I ever heard of you, you had started your blog, Mm -hmm. your amateur gourmet blog. Okay. And you said, I want to marry Molly Stevens. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So are you proposing? (laughs) And that was the first, and the Brazing book hadn't been out very long. And I I was so excited because your blog was, you know, growing in popularity. It was a big deal because you were one of the first, you know, bloggers to really, and I was like, that was such a, I was like, yes. Oh, I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fanboy. I mean, I, I'm very excited that like I've gotten to know you. Um, even a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it's it's actually a funny time that we're living in too. That like these names, like the name Molly Stevens, it's, it's it feels like you know back in the day, like before social media, before being so connected to everybody, like it, it just feels like a name that like I would have thought of you as like this literary figure that like you know just just the words and, and not that you're not a literary figure, but it's just like but then now we get to kind of like pierce the veil of like these names that like are on our cookbook shelves. It's like, no, I get to look at you and talk to you. And so, you know, but I, I don't know what I'm trying to say about this, except to say that like you hold, no, a, you hold a high place in my, my brain. I, yeah. I think they're like, for example, right now, Nigella Lawson is someone who looms large for me because yes. she's, you know, she was, um, and I still have a card she sent me once when one of my books came out. And, um, but now I can, you know, exchange Twitter messages right. with her. It's kind of, I mean, I think there's some good things about the connectivity. Yeah. But you and learn a lot up. about, you see people, like Stephen Stephen King is on Twitter, and I feel like I know more yeah. about, like, I, like yeah. I'm seeing a different side of him, you know, yeah. which is all to say that it's so cool to get to meet one of my favorite cookbook authors, even if it's virtual. 
well, you're you're avoiding the question though, which is what are you oh, having? Dinner. What are you having for dinner, dinner tonight? Dinner tonight. Um, I have it's a uh, baby back ribs that are it's uh, from uh, pork that's in the freezer from a Vermont farm that I'm really excited about. Um, we bought half a pig a while ago, so I'm pretty happy to have that. These Wait, they're days. still in the freezer. Don't you have to defrost them? No, no, no. They were defrosted a couple days ago. They've been oh, in I the um, spice rubbed them for two days. They're actually in the oven now they're going to slow braise and then because the sun's out and we need to get outside we're actually going to uh, fire up the grill later even though it's only 50 degrees okay. and finish finish them on the grill with some barbecue sauce wow that sounds delicious yeah it's going to be really good what are you going to serve that with i'm going to do a montreal style coleslaw what's a montreal style coleslaw uh not creamy okay so it's very acidic, yeah, very, you know, a sharper one, crunchier, and then um, can do some smashed potatoes. Oh, my gosh. Is your husband also a cook, or do you do all the cooking? He's become a very good cook, and like you, he has learned to braise, okay. and he, he, I think he gets frustrated because I cook so much, and he doesn't always get a chance to cook but so we we, um, we navigate that and when you talked like, about right. um control before is it hard for you to seed control in the kitchen um i, I may not be the best one to answer that question <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny because craig um is the only thing that he has a strong opinion about is grilled cheese because <clears throat> he kind of taught me to do it on a low heat so the cheese melts with a lid on and so he kind of comes the only thing he'll ever like come into the kitchen and monitor what I do is when I make grilled cheese, when I make grilled cheese and it drives me crazy. I'm like, get out of here. Leave me alone. Yeah. No, I like sharing a kitchen, but I think I might not be the easiest person to share a kitchen with. Mm -hmm. I don't know. the. I don't know. But I know like Thanksgiving, we all cook together. And when I'm at my sister's, we all cook together. So I really enjoy being in the kitchen with, um, with people. Well, maybe we'll cook together next time you're in LA. That would be a, wonderful yeah that'd be fun yeah. well yeah, okay. um molly thank you so much for for being part of this grand experiment of facetime lunch therapy but i think it went pretty well i thought it was great and i hope it works for you because we need your podcast adam we oh. need you to keep doing it thank you so much well everyone go out and buy her uh, molly's new book all about dinner which would be perfect for right now very much we yes we all need recipes we all right. do we'll hang in there and stay healthy and right. um you too. thanks again thanks adam bye bye, -bye.